Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Chapter 24, Chanting the Song Sung by Lord Shiva, text 68. Atatam Asino Brahman, Atatam Asino Brahman, Adamatman Vipashtitam, Vishram Ruda Bhaya Drustam, Vishram Ruda Bhaya Akutaschit Bhayagati Akutaschit Bhayagati Atatam Asino Brahman Atatam Asino Brahman Anamadman Vipashtita Anamadman Vipashtita Vishram Rudra Bhayadrashtam Vishram Rudra Bhayadrashtam Akutaschit Bhayagati Akutaschit Bhayagati Atatam Asino Brahman Atatam Asino Aramatman Vipashtita Aramatman Vipashtita Vishram Rudra Bayadrastam Vishram Rudra Bayadrastam Akutaschit Bayagati Akutaschit Bayagati Atta Therefore Tvam You My Lord Asi Are Na our Brahman, O Supreme Brahman, Parama Atman, O Super Soul, Vipashchita, for the learned wise man, Vishwam, the whole universe, Rudra Bhaya, being afraid of Rudra, Drastam, Annihilated. Annihilated. Baya. Undoubtedly fearless. Undoubtedly fearless. Destination. Destination. Translation. My dear Lord, all actually learned persons know you as a Supreme Brahman and the Super Soul. Although the entire universe is afraid of Lord Rudra, who ultimately annihilates everything. For the learned devotees, you are the fearless destination of all. Purport. For the purpose of creation, maintenance, and annihilation of this cosmic manifestation, there are three lords, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, Maheshwar. The material body is finished at the time of annihilation. Both the universal body and the small unit the individual living entity's body, are susceptible to annihilation at the ultimate end. However, the devotees do not fear the annihilation of the body, for they are confident that after the annihilation, they'll go back home, back to Godhead. Tukta deham punar janma naiti ma meti sorjuna. 
If one strictly follows the process of devotional service, he has no fear of death, for he is predestined to go back home, back to Godhead. The non-devotees are fearful of death because they have no guarantee of where they are going or of the type of body they're going to get in their next life. The word Rudra Paya is significant in this verse because Rudra himself, Lord Shiva, is speaking of fear of Rudra. This indicates that there are many Rudras, 11 Rudras, and the Rudra, Lord Shiva, who was offering this prayer to the Supreme Personality Godhead, is different from the other Rudras, although he is as powerful as they are. The conclusion is that one Rudra is afraid of another Rudra because each and every one of them is engaged in the destruction of this cosmic manifestation. But for the devotee, everyone is afraid of Rudra, but for the meaning except for the devotee, everyone is afraid of Rudra, even Rudra himself. A devotee is never afraid of Rudra because he is always secure, being protected by the lotus feet of the Lord. As Sri Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Konteya Patijani Name Bhakta Pranashyati. My dear Arjuna, you may declare publicly that my pure devotee will not be vanquished under any circumstances. Translation again. My dear Lord, all actually learned persons know you as the Supreme Brahman and the Super Soul. Although the entire universe is afraid of Lord Rudra, who ultimately annihilates everything, for the learned devotees, you are the fearless destination of all. Om Gyananjanandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurvaditam Yena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasani Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare We are nearing the end of the Rudra Gita as we briefly discussed yesterday. The Rudra Gita is sung by Lord Shiva, to the Pratetas. And Rudra himself will describe that this prayer originated with Lord Brahma, who sang it in glorification of the Supreme Personality Godhead. And then Lord Brahma passed it to his immediate descendants, the Prajapatis, Lord Shiva, and others so they would feel inspired and empowered to go about their tasks in creating and maintaining. So this Rudra Gita is music of empowerment, mantra of empowerment. And Lord Shiva points out to the Prachetas that if you carefully chant this Gita every morning, then your spiritual success will certainly happen. Of course, we get everything from the Rudra Gita in the Hare Krishna mantra. And especially if we give that Hare Krishna mantra quality time, quality focus, 
we'll see our spiritual life unfold before us. We'll realize that we're not the controllers. We'll realize that we cannot be happy by material arrangement. And we'll watch as our devotional service begins to manifest right before our very eyes. Simply because of attentive chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. We spoke briefly yesterday about the need to be influenced by the greatest personalities. Everyone is influenced by someone. You're influenced by your parents, by your relatives, by your neighbors. You're influenced by persons who are supposedly successful, who have attained this, achieved that. And then there's the particular culture, material culture surrounding you that is passed down from generation to generation. So who can say that they're not influenced by anyone? So our bhakti program means to find the best persons to be influenced by. Who is so huge and limitless that they, they are not influenced by anyone? No, our constitutional position is that we are tiny particles. And that means we must come under some kind of influence. So our journey through material existence is one of choosing the right influence. And Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, you're either under the material influence or the spiritual influence. Because as you know, we are tatasta shakti, marginal potency. Like the beach. Sometimes the beach is covered by water. Sometimes not. We tiny jivas are sometimes covered by the spiritual energy and sometimes the material energy. Our life means an opportunity to choose which energy will influence us. To make that proper choice requires knowledge and good association. We can choose properly based on knowledge and good association. But we need to come under the influence of the best. So this is why Lord Shiva, yesterday we heard, says, My dear Lord, any learned person knows that unless he worships you, his entire life is spoiled. Knowing this, how could he give up worshiping your lotus feet? Even our father and spiritual master, Lord Prabhupada, unhesitatingly worship you. And the 14 Manus follow in his footsteps. So this is the way of authorized knowledge. You always quote authorities. Even Lord Shiva is quoting authorities. Our father, Lord Brahma, and our guru, he's done this. And then the Manus, they followed in his footsteps. Just like Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita. Pram, Brahma, Pram, Dharma. Krishna, you are the supreme abode, the supreme purifier. But it's not simply I am saying this. People may say, Arjuna is Krishna's friend, therefore he'll say all these kind of things. 
But no, Asita, Devila Vyasa. All these great sages have affirmed what I'm saying, and therefore I am also saying it. So this is our position. All the greatest personalities, the greatest scholars and researchers, the real intellectuals in the cosmos have said, Krishna is the Supreme Personality Godhead. Even Lord Shiva is saying that. He's praying, my dear Lord. He's not speaking to himself. <laughs> He's offering his prayers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's pointing out, if you're actually learned, this is what you'll do. All actually learned persons know you as the Supreme Brahman and the Super Soul. If we can find persons who actually have wisdom and knowledge, how successful our life will be. So this Krishna Consciousness Society, this Bhakti network that Srila Prabhupada has established, gives the world a chance to connect with the greatest personalities through Parampara. The Parampara, the Disciple Succession, is a instrument for connecting to Krishna. It's an instrument by which you can see Krishna. It's a lens through which you can see Krishna. It is not just some kind of ritualistic mm, function. This Acharya had his spiritual master who had his spiritual master. It's not just some kind of decoration. It is a living, active instrument through which realization of Krishna comes. And Lord Shiva is demonstrating that. He's telling you, I come in parampara. <laughs> My father, Lord Brahma, he has spoken this. He's our father. He's our spiritual master. He's worshipped you with this Gita. Now, it's being recited by Lord Shiva and therefore it becomes famous as the Rudra Gita. But he's pointing out, he's giving the credit. This is the way of a Vaishnava. What do I have of my own? Everything comes to me from Parampara, through Parampara. So even though Lord Shiva is known as the greatest Vaishnava, Vaishnavanam Yatashambhu, he's not even, as you know, an ordinary living entity. He's not Jiva Tattva. He's not Vishnu Tattva. He's in his own special category, Shiva Tattva, which is very intricate and difficult to understand. Yet, he's referring to predecessor authorities. Even Krishna does that in Bhagavad Gita. Brahma Sutra Padais Chaiva. What I'm telling you, Arjuna, is also spoken in the Brahma Sutra, Vedanta Sutra. So this is the way of speaking intelligently. But sometimes people are afraid that if you speak authoritatively, that means you're sectarian. To be universal, to be non-sectarian means just, well, no one really knows. And whatever you think, whatever you think, what is your truth? And what is your truth? We're open to everyone's truth. But we're so tiny. How can we manufacture truth? 
We're victimized by past, present, and future. What we say was true yesterday probably is not true today. And what we say is true today probably won't be true tomorrow. And yet, here we are presenting ourselves as, well, I have my truth, you have your truth. I appreciate your truth. (laughs) (laughs) To understand the need for authorized knowledge is the beginning of real human life. You can compare the character, the abilities, the qualities of all the various personalities the Bhagavatam presents to you. Compare that to contemporary, decrepit, degenerate personalities of Kali Yuga. If we point this out, sometimes people become angry. Oh, why are you stressing your truth? (laughs) But we're not being dogmatic. Of course, we try to present as sweetly as possible. (laughs) But still, someone will always say, oh, but that's your belief. That's your truth. (laughs) Even in India, they'll say like that. Why Krishna? There's so many gods, so many devas. Why have you focused on Krishna? Oh, you are Krishna-centric. Yes, we are happy to be accused of that. (laughs) We are Krishna-centric. I remember once I was in Japan, uh, and I met some nice Indian gentlemen who had been in Japan doing business for many decades. And they asked me very humbly, we'd like you to explain an event that happened 30 years ago when your Swamiji, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, came to Japan, this is about 1971-72, and we invited him to a program, a Hindu program. And, of course, we had other Swami's there, and so your Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada was one of the speakers, Uh, and so he gave his talk, and then we asked another Swamiji to begin to talk, please talk, and while the other Swamiji was talking, suddenly your Swami dispatched his followers to the stage to, and they interrupted the talk with Kirtan. <laughs> how, how is this? <laughs> a Swami is supposed to be tolerant and equipoised. Whatever happens, uh, it's all the same and one is indifferent to this, to that. But <laughs> in so many words, nice words, they were explaining that Srila Prabhupada ordered his devotees to bust up the talk. <laughs> what was going on? This other Swami was uh, 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 <laughs> complete Mayavadi. And he was describing the absolute truth as formless, qualityless, activityless. And so, devotees there who were with Prabhupada, remember, as the Mayavadi sannyasi was speaking, Prabhupada was getting restless, and <laughs> and and the and the Mayavadi sannyasi went on and on, and finally, obviously, Prabhupada couldn't take it any longer, and he told the devotees, 
jump up on the stage, make kirtan. Of course, the devotees are very happy to do that. <laughs> right in the middle of the, uh, the Hindu sannyasis talk, the devotees pulled out their cartels. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So everyone in the audience was bewildered. Like, what kind of behavior is this for a sadhu? A sadhu should not react to anything. In other words, a sadhu is like a stone. <laughs> they don't understand. Prabhupada was responding out of love for Krishna. If someone is dearly beloved to you, could you just sit still being in a room where someone's insulting your beloved? You couldn't handle it. <laughs> You'd have to say something. That is not true. <laughs> so Prabhupada actually has love for Krishna and he couldn't tolerate Krishna being offended in that way and having to sit there and having his disciples listen to all this nonsense. He could, that's out of love. But what do you think the Hindu audience thought? Oh, maybe this Swami is getting old and he's not responding in the right way. So 30 years later, I met some of the gentlemen who attended that conference. And they, they couldn't forget it. <laughs> Can you please explain to us? <laughs> Isn't that a sadhu is samadarshi? He sees everything as equal. <laughs> but what does samadarshi actually mean? It means to see everything as connected to Krishna and to respond in a way that's always for Krishna's pleasure. So you can have an impersonal understanding of samadarshi, one who sees equally meaning no distinctions. But we're not impersonalists. We see variety in unity. All the varieties belong to the same unity. But there are varieties and there is unity. Krishna's energy is full of varieties, but the varieties all belong to Krishna. So we don't deny variegatedness. We see how everything can be used in Krishna's service. Just like in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that someone who's truly wise sees gold or pebbles to be the same. What does that mean? And an impersonalist interpretation of that verse means, well, it doesn't matter whether I have stones or I have gold, it's all the same. (laughs) Therefore, Sometimes in India you'll see pictures of Mayavadis and someone is bringing them some jewels or some gold or some money and they'll... (laughs) Srila Prabhupada commented, let them take a picture of us. Let them bring the money and we'll... (laughs) For who though? For Krishna. (laughs) We recognize who the proprietor is. We don't use a for our own pleasure. We use everything for Krishna's pleasure. So let them take a picture of us. Yes. Bring it all. Bring it all. Bring all the jewels. Bring all the gold. We'll use it 100% for Krishna. So that is the real meaning of Samadarshi. See everything in its relation to Krishna. So sometimes for Krishna's service you need gold and sometimes you need pebbles. If you're going to mm, pave a road 
at Newton Underground, you need some pebbles, you need some stones. <laughs> You're not going to do it with gold. So for that particular purpose, for Krishna's pleasure, you need the pebbles. And then, uh, for the deity, it's nice to have gold. So everything has its, every particular, individual, specific variety has its use in Krishna's service. So that's what the Samadarshi sees. Not that it's all the same. You want to decorate the altar? Bring some pebbles. <laughs> because Krishna says, the truly wise person sees gold or pebbles as the same. No. Everything has its particular use for Krishna's pleasure. So, sometimes people would argue with Prabhupada. They'll argue with us now. Why are you speaking strongly about those who say everything is monism, everything is one? Just see it all equally. This one says Krishna has a form. This one says the Supreme is formless. It's all the same. That's what it means to be Samadarshi. This one says, worship any god. You'll get the same result. That one says, no, focus on Vishnu. It's all the same. A real sadhu just sees it all as exactly the same thing. No. <laughs> so once some gentleman in India were really getting on Prabhupada's case. They were being very insistent. They thought they had him. They thought they had him captured. The sadhu is Samadarshi, yes? So Prabhupada said, yes, the sadhu is Samadarshi. But if you're Samadarshi, if you see everything, everyone is equal, then why you criticize someone if they have their own version of Bhagavad Gita? Because there had just been a Hindu conference on Bhagavad Gita. And many impersonalists making their own concocted interpretations. And so Srila Prabhupada made it clear when he spoke that uh, we don't need to interpret Bhagavad Gita. You take what Krishna says exactly as he said. And so some of the organizers of the conference later, they, they, they came to see Prabhupada and like, Samadarshi, you know, seeing everyone as equal. Why did you react? Why did you criticize when someone had their own interpretation of Bhagavad Gita? It's all the same, right? Everyone has their opinion. Uh, you say Bhagavad Gita means surrender to Krishna. The other person says Bhagavad Gita means surrender to the unborn within you. Uh, the Samadarshi sees it all as equal. <laughs> So they thought they had Prabhupada. Uh, they thought they had him caught. Like, You're sadhu, but aren't you supposed to be Samadarshi? Aren't you supposed to be behaving in a certain way? What was Prabhupada's response? That I'm not Samadarshi. <laughs> they were stunned. <laughs> they were, well, how can you say that? They thought they had him. You're sadhu. You're supposed to be Samadarshi. Now we recognize you're sadhu, but you say you're not Samadarshi. What's going on here? <laughs> you're violating the Hindu Dharma. <laughs> so this went on for about five or ten minutes. Prabhupada said, no, I'm not Samadarshi. <laughs> they were totally bewildered. And then Srila Prabhupada turned the tables on them. said, but let me tell you how I'm really Samadarshi. Do you want to hear? I'm not Samadarshi in your way. 
But you want to hear what the real standard of Samadarshi is? I say Krishna's for everyone and anyone can be a devotee of Krishna. That is Samadarshi. <laughs> Their mouths drop because they were, you know, caste brahmanas. They were ritualistic uh, followers of the Vedas who thought that uh, only certain kinds of persons can be devotees. Everyone else has to die and take birth again <laughs> in the right kind of family. Then they can be devotees. So Srila Prabhupada told him, I'm Samadarshi. I see that everyone is Krishna's part and parcel. Everyone should chant Hare Krishna. Everyone should be Krishna's devotee. Without distinction of what their caste is, what their family is, what their country is. Krishna's for everyone. That is being Samadarshi. They didn't know what to say. <laughs> So we shouldn't be afraid of being accused of being sectarian. Uh, we can be polite and we can be very sweet. At the same time, though, we have to discriminate. We have to distinguish what is real knowledge or what is a real authority. Who can deliver authoritative knowledge? So Lord Shiva is giving you his credentials. He's not simply saying, I'm Lord Shiva, therefore, take it, what I say. No, he's saying, my father and the Adi Guru, Brahma, he has said like this. My fellow personalities who have been created directly by Brahma, the Manus, uh, they say like this. And therefore, I am also saying it. Just as Arjuna did in Bhagavad Gita. Asita, Devala, Vyasa. They said like that. And I am also saying it. And Krishna himself quotes from Brahma Sutra. So this is the exalted life of a devotee. It's backed by the greatest authorities. The greatest authorities in the universe. This is why when Krishna appeared in this world in, and he transferred from the mind of Vasudeva to the heart of Devaki and the demigods invisibly gathered in the prison cell of Kamsa and they were offering prayers. Sometimes people say, well, how is it Krishna is in the womb? Why not? Krishna's everywhere. Why do you restrict him? He can't be in the womb. But he does not manifest in the womb of Devaki by some biochemical process, some kind of fertilization process. <laughs> He's everywhere. But he appears personally because of the love of his devotees. So the demigods were invisibly gathering in the prison cell and they offered a very important prayer to Krishna. They said, mm, you are the absolute truth in all phases of time. Trisachyam. It's not that what you say and what you do is true in the past, but not in the present, or won't be true in the future. No. 
Whatever you say, whatever you do, is beyond the three divisions of time. So this is the source for real knowledge. And this is what we get in Shuman Bhagavatam. And so Lord Shiva is confirming. If someone's actually learned, they'll know what I'm saying. They'll know that the Supreme Personality of God is the Supreme Brahman and the Super Soul. And he speaks about fear. Although the entire universe is afraid of Lord Rudra, who ultimately annihilates everything. If you're a learned devotee, then you have the fearless destination at Krishna's lotus feet. So let's talk about fear. It is guaranteed that this world is full of situations that produce fear. We're always in anxiety. What problem will come next? Today seems to be okay, but what will happen at night? What will happen the next day? What does Krishna mean when he says he'll deliver devotees from all fear? Situations will always be what they are in this world. But it's the fear itself that Krishna will protect the devotees from. So yes, devotees become old, they become sick, they be, they're in accidents, car accidents, plane accidents, they undergo terminal diseases, they give up their bodies. But Krishna says, I'll protect the devotee from the fear in other words, externally, things will go on as they do in this world. But the fear is what we are afraid of. We are afraid of fear. If you can have the fear dealt with, then you can handle the situation. So more than the situation itself, it's the fear. Oh no, what will happen to me? What will my future be? But Krishna promises for his devotee, that he'll dispel that fear. So therefore, a devotee may seem to go through a calamitous situation, and that calamitous situation resembles what a non-devotee goes through. And so you say, what's the use of the bhakti practice? The devotee was in a car crash, the non-devotee was in a car crash. It all looks the same. But no. From the external point of view, it's the same. But the consciousness of the two is completely different. You know the example often given. The cat carrying a kitten in her mouth and carrying a rat in her mouth. It looks the same, right? The creature, whether it's a kitten or the rat, is in the mouth of the mother cat. So you say, oh, there's no difference. But there is a difference. Even though the situation looks the same, what's going on? When the kitten is in the mouth of the mother cat, the kitten's feeling affection. And what is the rat feeling in the mouth of the cat? Terror. But both are in the same circumstance, the same situation. So in this way, we can understand that when Krishna says, my devotee is never vanquished, He's not so much referring to material situations as if they'll never happen. 
The material world is the place of material vanquishing. The body must be vanquished, whether you're a devotee or a non-devotee. But Krishna says that the fear will not overwhelm you. So when we pray to Lord Nishringadev to annihilate the fear, that doesn't necessarily mean the situation is, a, is transformed. That's up to Krishna. A devotee is sick. He or she prays to Lord Nishingadev. What you're praying for is, please, Lord Nishingadev, remove the fear. The situation is what it is. We're in the material world. The bodies must decline. The bodies must die. But it's the fear that I, I need to have dealt with. So therefore, Lord Shiva is saying, for the learned devotees, you are the fearless destination of all. And we hear in the purport, <clears throat> the devotees do not fear the annihilation of the body, for they are confident that after the annihilation, they will go back home, back to Godhead. Takta deham punar janma. Naiti mam eti sovarjuna. I was hearing from one of my godbrother sannyasis about the departure of another godbrother who left his body in Mayapur Dam. And so this Maharaj knew this devotee well and called him up on the phone from another part of the world, called to Mayapur and talked to this devotee two hours before his departure from his body. And what was that devotee saying? And the devotee, he wasn't a, a swami, he, wasn't, he didn't have a big title, president, GBC. Uh, he was a very wonderful devotee who had for some years done indexes for the BBT publications. Uh, nothing that sounds like you would post a video clip on Dundavats. Here is our indexer. <laughs> wasn't a kind of service that you would beat the drum about. <laughs> so he would say, ordinary devotee. Of course, no devotee is ordinary. But loosely speaking, someone might say, an ordinary devotee. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't a... He wasn't a renounced order life. He was a householder. But what was he saying two hours before his departure when this Maharaj called him up? He said, this is so nectarian. This is so wonderful. I feel sorry for all of you who have to stay in the material world. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're dying. You're going to be terrified. <laughs> this is so this is so blissful. This is so wonderful. And you all have to stay in the material world. I feel so sorry for you. And then, two hours later, he's gone. So what do you make of that? <laughs> he's in the mouth of the mother cat and feeling bliss, whereas someone else giving up their body is terrified. What's going to happen to me? I have no idea. Is there a next life? I don't know. 
to spend your whole life being attached to the body and then you think you're going to give it up so nicely and easily? You don't know anything else. It's the greatest terror to be ripped out of the body when you think you are the body. But that, that is the result of a life of bodily attachment. Therefore, the earlier we begin detachment from the body by attachment to devotional service, the less trouble we have when the inevitable time comes to give up the body, whether we're young or old. And we take shelter of Krishna to annihilate the fear. The outcome of any situation, that's up to Krishna. But Krishna may preserve our stay in this body a little longer, or he may not. But it's the fear that we want dealt with. We pray to Lord Nishingade, please annihilate the fear. And without fear, then what is it that bothers you? So again, Lord Shiva is saying here, although the entire universe is afraid of Lord Rudra, who ultimately annihilates everything, for the learned devotees, you are the fearless destination of all. All right, any questions? Yes? Prabhupada talks about the 11 Rudras there, and then also there is this mention of they are fearing each other. I knew someone was going to ask <laughs> Let me utter a disclaimer. Anything about Shiva, Shiva Tattva is just so complicated. Because he's not a living entity and he's not a Supreme Personality guy. He's completely spiritual, yet he seems to have some connection with the material energy. That makes things very complicated. Because the Supreme Personality Godhead doesn't come in touch with the material energy. Even his glance is actually mm, distinct from him. And that glance, that Shiva. So it's very complicated. So you just take what you hear. <laughs> what next? You're going to ask me, how is it that Brahma gets angry and from his forehead comes Rudra and then when it's time for the cosmic annihilation you know what happens from the forehead of Anantashesh comes Rudra so how does that happen also these things are inconceivable do you understand here you are in Australia how long have you been in Australia four years four years do you understand how the financial system works completely <laughs> do you understand how the political system works completely <laughs> so even these ordinary things you don't understand but still you're going on with your life yes <laughs> but at least the information is given in Bhagavatam and as far as the human intellect allows you can grasp it and of course inspired by the Lord in the heart you can get deeper realization <laughs> but Shiva Tapa is very complicated <laughs> So that doesn't mean that uh, she was, uh, she was portrayed in negative light. His, uh, Rudra's thing is to be angry. 
That's his contribution. For cosmic annihilation, he gets angry. Do you want to be around at that time? <laughs> what about Lord Shiva's Tandava Nritya? You know what the Tandava Nritya is? The, the, it's a dance, but it's a dance of annihilation, cosmic annihilation. You want to be around for that? <laughs> then you better go back to Gaia <laughs> and take your family with you. <laughs> Anything else? Yes? Mother, uh, this fear actually, you know, if you see, sometimes help, help a devotee to come closer to Krishna. And then sometimes this fear, you know, out of fear, we uh, you know, perform devotional service. Like sometimes you've taken a vow, you've taken, you know, not to. So this fear actually motivating to do devotional service. How we transform this fear to love, you know, how we can move to the next stage. An intelligent person fears material existence. But a more intelligent person fears the lack of devotee association, the lack of devotional service. So fear can also be used in Krishna's service. That's an essential part of bhakti, to use all these emotional elements in Krishna's service. As Narutam Das Thakur says, Kam Krishna Karmarpane. You can use lust, you can use anger, you can use fear. All these things must be used in Krishna's service. I probably heard me explain before one statement by Srila Prabhupada, a very charitable statement. He said, you know, there's only one difference between me and my disciples. Only one difference. <laughs> What is that only difference between my disciples and me? That my disciples have no fear of Maya and I'm always praying to Krishna, please don't let me fall down. So that's the perfect love, perfect use of fear in ecstatic love for Krishna. So that's the positive use of fear. Fear of losing devotee association. Fear of not having any service. What does Prahlad Maharaj say in the seventh canto? On the one hand, it seems that Prahlad is saying he's afraid of material existence. But actually what he's afraid of are the effects of materialistic association. Therefore later he says, I'm not afraid of material existence. But sometimes it seems he's saying, I am afraid. But what he, when he clarifies, when he elaborates, he points out, I'm afraid of the materialistic association in terms of the effects it has. And Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur explains in his commentary that mm, Prahlad is zeroing in on the effects of materialistic association. And that materialistic association is part of the wheel of birth and death the samsara. So what are those effects? Aversion to Krishna, criticism of Krishna, hatred of Krishna. That's what Prahlad is afraid of. Because that is part and parcel of material existence. But it's not the cycle of birth and death that Prahlad's afraid of. And he points that out later. He says, I'm always in the Mahamrita. I'm always swimming in the nectarian ocean of hearing and chanting about Krishna. But he's afraid of situations that 
can infect you with aversion to Krishna, even indifference to Krishna, even so-called non-sectarian um, situations like, oh, like it happened to me once at a, at a outreach event. I was sitting with some young, sophisticated Australians and you know, share market traders and uh, human resources executives and Oh, they told me, you're into Krishna, it's really great. He's into scuba diving, that one likes to ski. That one's into Buddhism, Krishna, skiing, scuba diving, whatever. That's indifference. It seems to be, the person's being very charitable. But actually, uh, it's saying that everything is all the same, and just take your pick, whatever gets you through the day and night, it's all fine. Krishna, scuba diving, uh, <laughs> surfing, <laughs> take your pick, whatever way you find meaning. So Prahlad says he's afraid of that, that attitude which produces indifference to Krishna. He's afraid of the cycle of repeated birth and death because in that cycle there is criticism and hatred of Krishna. So that is the subtle understanding of why Prahlad sometimes says he's afraid, other times he says, I'm not afraid. Yes? When you were asked in Japan why Shri Prabhupada interrupted the, um, the other sannyasi's speech, how did you respond? What did you say? When I was asked in Japan by the gentleman, why Shiva Papa did what he did, I explained that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and they were insulting Krishna and because Prabhupada knows Krishna is fact, he couldn't tolerate his beloved being insulted in public. And then I gave the example just like I gave you. What if someone dear to you, your wife, husband, whatever, in a public place, is being offended, is being blasphemed. Would you just sit there? You go to some public event and someone gives a speech and <coughs> describes your parents as useless. <laughs> you would just sit there and Oh, that is your opinion, that is fine. <laughs> I'm Samadarshi. <laughs> you would be thinking, what to do, what to do? You couldn't tolerate sitting there, right? You, you'd have to leave, or interrupt the person, excuse me, you're talking about my mother. <laughs> you are wrong. You would really be in a tight situation, wouldn't you? Should I say something? Should I leave? What do I do? I can't, you can, I can't tolerate this. <laughs> when I was at the Russian festival a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. Yes. <laughs> I get lost in so many places, but it was last week. <laughs> I told a story about Shilabhakti Siddhanta Sajidakur. He was at a program. It wasn't an intimate gathering of devotees. It was at a public program. And one gentleman stood up and said, 
why is there so much talk by you all about Sri Radha? What about Lakshmi Devi? And then he began to quote verses glorifying Lakshmi Devi. And so, what happened next? Shiloh Bhakti Siddhanta Sashi Thakur fainted. Why? Because he was, he was caught in a tight place. He, he's not supposed to speak about Sri Radha in a public assembly. Yet this man was denying the greatest treasure of the Sampradaya. So Shiloh Bhakti Siddhanta Sashi Thakur, his followers described, just fainted because what do I do? I, I, I can't say anything, but I can't just allow this to happen. <laughs> he just fainted. He was just, I can't publicly talk about the glories of Sri Radha, but yet this man is mistakenly quoting Shastra and minimizing Radha and saying, why all this for Radha? What about Lakshmi Devi? Uh, I can't respond. At the same time, <laughs> I can't listen to this. I can't correct him, but he needs to be corrected. So it's just, he just fainted. <laughs> These are all situations, actually, of true love. Anything else? Yes? Um, thank you, Maharaj. In these words, it's uh, mentioned about uh, Sutra Vaya. Um, now, we know that Lord Shiva is the uh, most compassionate. We know that those are very easily pleased. Uh, now, how do we understand from a Lord Shiva devotee point of view, who is a very staunch devotee of Lord Shiva? So, is this applies to a devotee of Lord Shiva, or if they happen to meet a preached one uh, Shiva devotee, how do we explain this? Is he afraid of, or is he being. You can explain to the devotee of Lord Shiva that Shiva will be more pleased if he worships Vishnu. You can say, it's very nice, you're attached to Lord Shiva. But Lord, if you really want his pleasure, then you worship the Supreme Personality God. There is his fear to them. Whatever you mentioned, the example of a kitten and a rat. So is the fear of death applies to them? or Applies to who? The devotee of Lord Shiva. What happened in the Krishna Leela when someone would take shelter of Lord Shiva? <laughs> Still some problems. <laughs> the only shelter is Krishna's lotus feet. You can get partial mitigation by approaching lesser personalities. But for the full release from fear, that only comes by worshipping the Supreme Personality Godhead. As you heard in the purport, since you want to talk about Rudra, <laughs> the conclusion is that one Rudra is afraid of another Rudra. Because each and every one of them is engaged in the destruction of this cosmic manifestation. Except for the devotee, everyone is afraid of Rudra. Even Rudra himself is afraid of Rudra. Except for the devotee. Okay? Last question.
You have a good question? You promise it's good. Okay. How is Rudra afraid of Rudra? <laughs> Rudra, all 11 Rudras are very frightening. What's the most frightening thing you've seen in your life? In your long life? What's the most frightening thing you've seen? Can't remember. So your parents have protected you nicely, so as of yet you have seen no terrifying situation. When Rudra gets angry, that means the end of the entire cosmic manifestation. So they're so terrifying that one Rudra is, a, is afraid of the other. There are 11 of them. Very complicated, Shiva Tattva. Okay? I simply chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.